Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I hope you've had an awesome week, and I hope you're ready for a really special guest this week. This guest walked into the old inner fight 2015, end of 2015, beginning of 2016. It's been an incredible journey. We have helped him or he's entrusted us to help him along his journey, his fitness journey, which has taken him to some incredible places. And as we learn in this week's show, to it's more probably not about the places and the races, but the realizations, the learnings and the things from those that he's able to implement and continues to implement and play with in his life that are really the most profound impact of the journey. He started out his career here in Dubai as an insurance broker at the young age of 20, 22, I think he said. Tough tough times taking taxis, water taxis, sharing lifts, going into high rises, knocking on doors, getting kicked out. And he brings it all into the show. It is in some parts emotional, in all parts, I think inspiring. And also for the most part, apart from when he's telling a story, which is it's thought provoking at the same time, it's gripping the way he tells a story, but it's definitely made me think a lot about a lot of different things. A very special guy. He's been part of our community for a long time. He helps so many people in so many different ways and goes about it nice and quietly. Absolute inspiration really for the whole hour. Yes, it's a long one. Stay focused. There's a lot all the way to the end, even if you listen to it in two or three different chunks. This week's show announcements, if you're not already registered, booked in for December the 9th, Celebrate Fitness, 8.30 a.m. here at the gym. Doesn't matter. You can travel internationally. It's absolutely fine. We will welcome you to Celebrate Fitness, 8.30 a.m. We'll have a big workout, which is open to absolutely everyone. It's a team workout. There'll be maybe about eight to 10 people in your team. You need to be in a team even and maybe I should, shouldn't say this, you don't really have to do a whole lot of work if you don't want to. You can get your teammates to work for you. That's why you're going to be in a team. And then join us afterwards. We're going to be at the Elves Club from midday for a little bit of food and a little bit of festivities. Please do let us know if you're coming. Either check into MindBody, send us an email, winning at innerfight.com. Anyone is welcome to either Celebrate Fitness on the 9th of December. It is December, the day that this show goes out is December. And in December, we will not be having specialty classes here at the gym. We are pausing on the weightlifting class, the gymnastics class, the build class, and pure strength class, all on pause for December. Visit the mainline classes. They are designed to take care of all of your needs and all the specialty classes will be starting up again in January. If there is something that you want specific work on, if you want to work on it one-to-one with a coach or in a small group setting, the coaches would be more than happy to discuss that with you and how they can maybe fill some time that you have before the end of the year. If you're trying to burn leave and just want to do a bit of extra training, the guys will be happy to take care of you. Who else will be happy to take care of you is our new Cycle Strong program. This is a nine-week strength plan for cyclists, which is available online. It's available in Training Peaks as well. If you're on Training Peaks, you can go and check it out there. You can buy it directly. It's $100 for nine weeks put together by our 
head of endurance, Tom Walker, Tom Walker Fitness, check him out in Instagram. You can see what he does to make endurance athletes stronger, runners with the Run Strong program that we made five years ago and is still going super strong. And also now his Cycle Strong program that is available. That's the announcements for this week. Let's jump into this week's show. This is episode number 860 of the Inflight Podcast. Priorities with Rickson D'Souza. Rickson, this, I'm actually very excited, mate. <laughs> Me too, actually. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank it's you so much. It's taken just over eight years for me to put you in the hot seat. Yeah, that's right. 20, 2015, 2016? I think 2015 is when yeah. you asked me first and I was nervous about it. <laughs> Mate, we've got a lot to talk about. We're, we're obviously sort of coming under the, the banner of priorities. I think I want to start in the current day and ask you, this morning you've been out running. Yep. It's quarter past eight. You're here having a podcast. You're dressed as though you're going to do something. I know you're not dressed like that for me. <laughs> so my first question is, on a daily basis, how does a guy like you, who has a lot of plates spinning, figure out what takes priority, what comes first, and how do you put your whole day together? So, you know, I think uh, for me, I look at it from a day-to-day perspective. I do have three or four goals out there in life, mm. which probably at this point in time, maybe for the quarter, maybe for the six months, maybe for the year is important. One of them would be related to health and fitness usually. One of them is to the family and the commitments to them. It could be the kids. Um, one or two of them are related to business and other relationships. And I prioritize based on that. So for example, I know um, Sundays, Thursdays and Tuesdays are the days for me to focus on my run and I need to get that out of the way in the morning before I begin the rest of my day. Uh, It sets me up for a win. At the same time, every day of the week except Tuesday is when I drop the kids to school and that's the priority for me because I need to have that conversation with them in the car for 30 minutes and that's my win for the day. Um, Tuesday is the only day I don't drop them to school because that's the day that I have track Tuesday and that's the priority. And then there are some days of the week where I begin a little later. I drop the kids to school and I have a, a late strength workout followed by the rest of the day with my team or with my clients. And some days I just with Sangeeta, you know, my wife. I'll just spend the morning with her. We'll go for a walk. We'll so it just depends. With Like you said, with a lot of plates spinning, it depends on what's the priority for that period. Right. It can change. But it's m- my game and it's my rules. I can change them. Um, It just depends upon what's important for the moment. And that's why I've started there. You're at a point, and I think you've been heading towards this point for a long time from the conversations that we've had, that your priorities are set. You set it there. It's your game. So you you almost set the rules. How? No, not how. When did you decide that you wanted to get into a position where you set the rules? Wow. Uh, at, at some level, it was when I was 22 years old, when I first got into the workspace. And I realized I didn't want to work for a corporation where there could be some element of red tapism, 
where promotions, salaries, everything else were dependent upon, uh, you know, people above you and, yeah. and factors out of your control more than anything else. I joined uh, the life insurance industry to work on commissions only as my first job because what my mentor told me at 7.15 in the morning on the 17th of October 1999 was you can work as many or as few hours as you want. You can make as little or as much money as you want, but you have to see three people a day for six days a week and that's all that, that it takes. So pretty much what he summed up to me was it was simple, but it wasn't going to be easy, but it's all up to you and your effort. That changed my life at 22. Now, progressively since then, I've actively seeked out people, relationships, clients, mentors that can uh, fuel that uh, specific uh, area for me. Yeah. yeah. That's a crazy formula. Yeah. I'm I've got stuck on that. Six days a week, just see three people a day. Yep. So simple. So simple, but not easy. Yeah. Because you've got to find 18 people a week, 18 in that space, 18 leads yeah. a week to yeah. have conversations with. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. I don't follow that formula today. But his <laughs> whole point was you're starting out afresh and this will just give you the momentum. Yeah. But he didn't tell me that then. He just said, you have to see three people a day. Work as long, as much, as little as you want. Um, and I think it just set me up. That would have been quite interesting, though, because it, that's not your norm for a graduate to be given that sort of free reign. Yeah. Because that, that's kind of like, okay, if you got those three meetings done by 9 a.m., yeah, that's it for the day. Absolutely. And, and that was it for the day, too. Because I would sometimes finish my day by 12 p.m. Yeah. Mind you, this was my unhealthy space in my We're going to come to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would finish by 12 p.m. and I'd go back home and I'd take it easy. Really? Or some days when I felt I had more energy, I'd spend time trying to find the next three people. That's interesting. And this is old school, before WhatsApp, before we used the internet for anything. Yeah. It was literally knock on doors. I didn't have a license, so they were, they, it involved a sharing taxi from Sharjah, a bus ride, uh, an Abra boat ride across to Dubai, a bus ride, and then walking, finding the biggest tower I could find on Sheikh Zayed Road, dodging uh, security, finding my way to the top floor, and walking my way down, asking wow. corporates if they were interested in life insurance. It was a horrible pitch. It never worked, but it just set me up. Let's stay on that, mate, because we're, you've made a really good contrast straight away there. We're in quite a different era. Yeah. How, does, how, how do you think, do you often think back, do you reflect to, like, how did I actually make that work? Because for those that don't understand, Rickson's got a taxi about 15 kilometers, then mm. got on a small boat mm -hmm. into quite a bustling trading area of Dubai. That's right. Then he's got a bus or another taxi to another area and, That's and right. landed up in a high rise. So it's, if, if you live in London, you've started on the outskirts, but you've had to somehow navigate across the Thames on a boat and now you're in the city. That's right. Ready to, do you often think back to like, how, how, how did I actually do it? I didn't know it to be, I didn't know another way. Yeah. This is what was the norm. Uh, 
Today we can look back at it and say, oh, there are so many smarter ways to do it given today's technology and reach and social media and everything else. But back then, you didn't have a WhatsApp. I was in commissions only. Even a text message cost me 30 fills, which I would think three times about before sending that message out there. And even that would be optimized so that I could use the 160 characters. <laughs> you know, oh, it, yeah. was, it was difficult. Yeah. Uh, but it is the only way I knew. There was no other option. There was no plan B. Um, I either had to make that situation work or succumb to my dad's wishes because I stayed in, the, in his house and do what he wanted me to do instead, which is become a software engineer. So you <laughs> so didn't like the alternative? The alternative was not an option. There was no plan B. Right. This was the only way to make it work. So if I look back at it today, I'd say... There was no other option. I know there were lots of people that came into the business and the industry. Uh, the people that made it work followed the formula that was put out in front of them. Yeah. And, and the formula was not meant to make you... It, it didn't mean that you would meet three people a day. It was just meant to build your endurance, if you may, or yeah. your resistance, or, the, um, or make it normal for you to hear a no from a person mm. more frequently so that you just get you know, uh, hardened by it. That's something as well that I find now is probably not so commonplace. The, the knockback, the, the nose. Yeah. Like now we pretty much, I find that by the time we get to someone, we've probably done enough research, we have the tools to do enough research to feel that they might say yes. Mm -hmm. But you were operating in, a, in, in an era that, there was a really good chance that they'd say no because it was such a such a cold call. Yeah. So you've been told no a number of times. Yep. How does that feel and how do you how do you keep going when you're just getting no 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 no? Uh, I'll tell you first that we I got no's more than 90% of the time. Yeah. Because the pitch was not efficient but the material available back in the day to research this stuff was very limited. Right. There were audio tapes that I listened to on a bus ride from sales coaches in the insurance business. But those tapes may have been recorded two decades before I listened to them. So the pitches were outdated even then. But there was no real way of communication to know what is the latest and the best methods of doing it. It was physical publications, if you could afford them, if your company purchased them, et cetera, et cetera. So... Um, so I heard no a lot, but I think that the no on a regular basis, I think if I, if, I, if I can remember this correctly, one of my mentors at the time told me that you're probably going to hear 99 no's out of 100 calls. Mm. You just have to get to number 99 quickly so that the 100th one is a yes. So the goal was not, I need to get that meeting. The goal was I need to get the 99 calls out of the way. The 99 knocks on the doors out of the way so that the one is probably going to be in your favor. And over a period of time, from one, it changes to two in your favor because you've now developed and evolved on your pitch. Over a period of time, it changes to three. And maybe at some point in time, you realize you don't need the 100 or the 99 anymore. On a 50, you can get three. So now you need to get down to 50, yeah. right? It changes. And obviously, over two and a half decades in the, in the industry... Today, I don't need to have 50 calls, you know, to, make, to get the one yes. Yeah. So we work 
smarter. There's more information out there. We're putting it to better use, and you know, it's just an easier and more efficient way of working. But without the without the hundred or the ninety nine no's, this wouldn't be a possibility either. Yeah, you, you have to go through it. It's a rite of passage. It's a rite of passage. So, how does that translate into the modern era? There's a twenty six year old listening to the show who can qualify. And what we're talking about here, it's not exclusive to the insurance industry. Sure. Everyone, for the most part, we, we, we make a living by selling something to someone. Yep. Surgeon sells knives, we sell fitness, you sell insurance, we, we're all selling. So we've got more access and we're able to qualify leads. So our, our ability to tolerate no's or our exposure to no's is a lot less right now. So the 26-year-old is not, or the 24-year-old, or even the 30-year-old, is not as used to what you were used to. They're not used to those 99 no's. So how do they, how do they make it in the world right now? I think, I think the system, I'm going to talk about generations, right? Because my dad came from the baby boomer generation. And when he started out, life was pegged against him completely. He had seven siblings, his dad passed away when he was in the 10th grade. He was responsible for the family when he was 16 years old and he started working as a bus conductor and then eventually made it in the insurance business years later in the Middle East. Yeah. But he had been through a lot of no's all his life. Then came my generation and he made it better and easier for us. And after me came my children's generation and between my kids and my generation there are at least there's at least one more generation we call them the millennials yeah. right the difference is as the years have gone by it's natural evolution but we've just made it easier for the next generation to have a better and more comfortable life so in regards to the schooling system today and stuff like that we see that everyone gets a medal for showing up then you get into life and life knocks you down because the first time you go for a job you didn't get a pat on your back for just showing up on time. Uh, you know, your boss is now the baby boomer, the Gen Xer who's had a pretty hard life and he doesn't see the reason to, you know, pat you on the back for saying, hey, well done, you showed up on time, you win. No. Um, so I think we've heard this before again, fail soon, fail, fail often. And I think it's important for the younger generations to see the nose to fail in life. I get excited when my son, my son plays football on a regular basis, my daughter's in gymnastics, and they have this uh, urge and this tendency to want to win, but when they lose, there is a small part of me that's overjoyed because I feel that's what's getting them ready yeah. for the real world and for the real life. You can't be, it's difficult when you're an adult and it's the first time in your life that you've heard a no. Being able to deal with that and comprehend that and all the emotions that come with it can't be easy. So I mm -hmm. think it's important today as parents that we find ways to show our kids how to lose and how to deal with that loss, how to deal with that failure mm -hmm. and more frequently. Winning is important, don't get me wrong. For sure. But, um, but it's equally important to lose, to enjoy the win when you finally get there. So the way that we've evolved as a species what, what you're saying, and I, I agree with, mate, the way that we've evolved as a species and the systems that we've built, people are more used to 
getting praise. They're not used to losing so often, mm-hmm. which is a problem. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think I think uh, it definitely is. So I'll tell you from my trade in my industry, we generally have a very large turnover of advisors coming into the business and exiting. Mm. And for the longest time, I never understood why the turnover of advisors became larger, significantly larger. There were more people exiting the business, the more newcomers coming in, but leaving at a quicker pace, at a more rapid pace than it was when I was around. Yeah, right. And and I think the, I want to say, the, the right word over here is still endurance. The endurance to stay the course and commit to it and not want instant results and instant gratification is a lot lesser today. If you're not making it in the first three months, you know, exit. Three months. For me, my first deal that I ever closed took me six months and I lost more money on that deal than I made. <laughs> of course, I was yeah. 2,000 dirhams in debt in at debt, the end of yeah, that, uh, six, you know, to get that one deal. Mm. Whereas today I notice people come into the business, into the industry, and it's not just my industry. Mm. I notice that if they don't get the right promotion instantly, if they don't get the right praise immediately, if they don't get the right... A change in income instantly or in our line of work if they don't get the right sales instantly they quit they're out there's a good book by i might butcher his surname but his first name is steve i think it's magnus or something like that and it's actually entitled do hard things yeah okay so with that in mind and with what you said about your children in mind about a certain part of you is happy that they have had a loss or a failure because you know that's going to teach them. And I think that's really, it sounds a bit psychotic to, yeah. to a lot of people, yeah. but I think it's absolutely brilliant, mate, yeah. that you identify that. What Do you look at certain parts of life and certain other parts of your children's life and try and figure out how to essentially toughen yourself on, and maybe them up? Do you look at that consciously? Yeah, yeah, I do, absolutely. Um, I used to be a goalkeeper in uh, school. Right. And this one year, I remember, we, li- we lived in Dubai. We walked across to Karama, bought a new pair of gloves, and I thought, this, gloves, this, this pair of gloves were going to save the day for me. They had the best grip. And we lost that game 8-0. Oh. You know, it was a comedy of errors. And I took the bus ride back um, from school home, and I was completely destroyed by it, you know, because mm. uh, people were talking. My, d- my son today plays uh, in a position as the goalkeeper. Wow. And it was not his initial position right he wanted to play forward he was then given defense and now he's come up as probably one of the best goalkeepers in the league and he puts a lot of pressure on himself and what i notice as a difference today here's a nine-year-old and if he has a bad game if even a single goal goes through it doesn't matter what his peers his friends his teammates say to him he puts so much pressure on himself about wow. that loss that he gets into this emotional state. It's a 40-minute 40, 40 ride from the football game back home, and he's in the worst mood possible. And we notice this. It's a Sunday thing. We, we take that drive. We go for the league games. Yeah. And I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, okay, we need to get him to fail more. So we're doing smaller things with him on a regular basis wow. just to see... You know, can we, can we change that? Deal with it. It has to be part of your life because this is life in the future as well when you grow up as an adult. But yeah, we're constantly looking for ways that we can help them deal with failure better. 
I don't want to stop him from failing and I don't need him to fail more often. I just need him to acknowledge that this is just part of life yes. and find a way to deal with those emotions a little better. Do you think you're a minority in that approach? I don't know. I, I, know, uh, I know there are a lot of parents in the leagues who super celebrate a win, but I've also seen the other side where when the team fails, their kids fail, they're extremely tough on them. And I don't know, I think a balance is great whenever we can manage it as human beings, because we're not consciously looking for that, but it, maybe it's easier as, a, as the audience looking in saying, oh my God, I think he's too tough on his child. I'm sure somebody else notices that about me as well. I just yeah. wish there was an open way for someone to not have to worry about the optics and just tap the person on the shoulder and say, maybe you should let this one go. <laughs> I would love it if someone did that to me, just called me out and then say, listen, no, they're having a tough day. Yeah. They've lost, you know, maybe you need to let this go. Just relax a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's tricky, man. As you know, I, I don't have children yeah. and, and that's why it fascinates me because I also see, you know, these things that we're talking about that, you know, and, and is it wrong that we're rewarding children for doing well? Is it wrong that yes and no, you know? Uh, it's like, what do you, how much pat on your back? You, 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 didn't, you didn't get this job or, or, or whatever it is. You got the job, you get the salary, and, and that's it. If you go above and beyond, then we'll say something. But and, uh, yeah. you've been paid to do X, you do X. Like, what do you want? A fanfare every time? But then, because it's all linked to motivation, isn't it? And, that's and, right. And how we, how we ongoingly develop people and develop those relationships. Yeah. But I, yeah, I guess with, with younger children, we've spoken about it before on the show. Obviously, I've spoken to a lot of people with, with young kids. I'm, I'm also always trying to figure out maybe without getting caught too much in the future, like where does it, where does it really go? You know, you, you've, you've put it quite interestingly into almost these 10-year blocks, these generations, which that makes, unsurprisingly from you, mate, makes absolute sense. <laughs> Everything is super logical. But yeah, I just wonder where it goes in... You know, you and I will be even more grey and, and, well, I'll be bald. You're already bald in, in another... <laughs> this is voluntary. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying... He shaves his head. <laughs> Watch the video version, guys. <laughs> yeah, what does it look like when we're, when we're 70? I don't know. You know, one thing that I've noticed is, or I've identified as a, as a possible key thing over here, is the whole self-motivation thing, mm. right? And it comes down to each of us and our personal goals. So I know the show we're talking about today has to do with priorities. But our priorities for me are linked to, is a, res, is a direct result of what my goals in life are. Yeah. It, regardless of it, whether it is as a parent in my personal life, as a whole person in business or in sports. But what are my goals in life? And I think, um, I see this in the real world, in, as adults. When you work for corporations, uh, when you work for companies, Sometimes the goals, or many, in many times, the goals that you're talking about are not your own. They're imposed on you by another person, whether it's your manager, your boss, your coach, your teacher, your parent, you know, your relationships. These are goals which are imposed on you. And maybe that's not a bad starting point, but I wonder how many people stop 
and find what is the connect between them in their current state and the goal do they relate to that goal is that right for them in in our industry we're um, we're remunerated in the form of commissions mm. right uh, there is no base salary and when i hear companies in my space advisors in my space talk about their goals they have these generic goals you know it's a specific number for example $200,000 this is a number for another and a bunch of people have got that $200,000 goals in my head i'm thinking how possible is it that these 50 individuals all have the same goals in their life financial that they need that each of them need the exact $200,000 for right so my question today is how relevant or how relatable is the goal that's imposed by by your organization your parent your coach your teacher how relatable is it to you mm. and are you setting your priorities based on that in some cases your personal goals may be you might hold yourself to a much higher standard than your organization does mm. which means their goals means nothing to you and what you will achieve in the course of that period would be far greater than what their goals have been set what the goals have been set by the industry by the norms by the standards or whatever else or by your parents or your coaches and sometimes the goals set by these organizations are you don't relate to them at all they're completely out of sight for you yeah you don't have the bandwidth for that for example uh, i i decided at some point in time after we finished mds the second time i remember i stopped and had a cup of tea as you normally serve at the end and somebody stuck a camera in my face and asked me what's your next goal and without thinking i said i don't know how to swim properly I need to get into swimming and I'm going to take up triathlon. I'll backtrack that. Uh, before the race began, I saw a lot of people with Ironman tattoos on their calf muscles. And they had these bags that they were carrying which were Ironman bags. And I didn't know what Ironman was at the beginning of MDS and at the end of it I said I was going to do an Ironman. Which is fine. But in the course of the next 2 years, which was a complete struggle, not from the standpoint of training and fitness, but I tried to make sure that I hit those training blocks. so much that i ignored the stuff that was going on in my personal life and my family and tom calls it the rickson show right <laughs> and it's true because someone said hey you must be very inspirational or motivational to your kids and i thought about it and i said how i leave the house at 4 in the morning i come back after having ridden my bike for 8 hours or 10 hours i'm a complete vegetable after that You know it's the time when they want me to hang out with them and do stuff with them but I have no energy for it how am I inspire how am I inspiring them at on any level and at some point in time I realized that that goal which I set for myself based on a pressure of a TV crew had nothing to do with me it didn't mean anything for me I didn't enjoy it anymore right how did you navigate it At the time it was about just showing up and trying to get through it because the goal was to get through that one ironman to get through that one long swim long bike long run um and we did it at a time it, it was a solo uh, race that I ended up doing it was just a couple of days before lockdown mm. we had horrible weather I remember it well I remember hating every bit of the race from the bike leg onwards you see the swim was first it was already raining it was horrible weather but that was the intention was to get better at the swim we did a 500 meter um 
warm up before the 3.8 kilometer swim at that time i so i finished swimming 4.3 kilometers <laughs> it was the most i'd ever swum at one point in my life so really at that point in my at that point in time my race was done what i wanted to accomplish out of it was done you'd but like you to see swim. i had to swim but there was a 180 kilometer bike after that in horrible weather and a 42 kilometer run. I didn't enjoy the rest of that at all. To the point where today when I ride down that stick it just brings back that memory of that I think solo. I've seen you there many times no, since. No, right? no, I haven't been there. And I and I realize I don't relate to that anymore. It's not my goal anymore. It's not so I I had to sign up to multiple races. and be a no show to finally realize that signing up for these races isn't going to change how i feel about it mm. and how i felt about it is this is not a relevant goal to me anymore i need to be there i want to be there on the weekends with my family i want to be able to wake up the next morning on monday when the week has begun fresh to be able to serve my clients mm. take care of my family you know be sh- make sure that i'm in the best shape physically and mentally it took failing a lot <laughs> taking my bike out in the morning putting it back in the car without riding and going back and mentally it wasn't very good for me either because i had to face people over there who saw me show up and saw me go back you know without riding at all and then of course you've got things like strava and everything else where <laughs> it shows the distance you've run ridden etc i didn't realize this is not for me anymore i had to disconnect from that goal when you were in it yeah were you did you know like l- not don't look back now because yeah. looking back now it's obvious that you knew because you yeah. you can see all the signs yeah but when you were in it what what was going how were you feeling the the first six months uh six to eight months i think when i started to the time i finished the, the solo distance the solo ironman distance i needed to get the goal was finish that single race not the half ironman but finish the full whether yeah. this happened in south africa or this happened in our backyard was irrelevant the realization that it was not for me only came on the day of the race wow in the middle of the bike leg when at one point i was riding slower than i could run yeah i did turn around a couple of times i don't know how many people know this i turned around a couple of times and and i had left my live tracking on on my on my uh, phone and tom constantly sent me voice messages saying turn back around finish your distance or you're going to hate yourself for it tomorrow you're going to mm. regret this tomorrow and he was right i'm so happy he made me finish it yeah. because finishing it told me that hey i did it i'm happy that i finished it because now it's done but i enjoyed the journey till the day of the race mm. post race getting out there on the bike course did nothing for me do you look back on it now with or how how do you look back on it now is it are you proud of it are you yeah like what if you were and i don't love labels mate but yeah, sure. from from what i've seen from from afar and obviously i'm not quite as close to it as tom but i see you often 
and the way you've explained it, it it was this it was this phase. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's it's also a phase with there must be an insane amount of emotion linked to it. Yes, you're right. There's a lot of emotion linked to it. Um, but you remember, I, we started this conversation by, with priorities and what, was, what is priority for now. At that point, that was the priority. Mm. At that point, it gave me a lot of... Um, I, I can tell you that that single day and the journey leading up to that got me through COVID. Nice. Got me through COVID because it was just before lockdown. Yeah. And it allowed me to stay relevant and stay strong from, for the people that depended on me through COVID, through the lockdown. We, I have a team, I have clients, I have family, I have friends. It allowed me to stay relevant and stay strong for them because the confidence that came from being able to do that from scratch yeah. in that short period of time was amazing. It, it, imagine a runner's high, but a runner's high lasting a whole year. That's what it felt like. And it was literally, the, the time period was literally April 2019 to March 2020. Yeah. When you Correct. finished MDS in April 19, and then you completed the Ironman in... in this, is, this is true, but I actually began training for Ironman only in October, September of yeah. uh, 2019, yeah. after the summer and everything else. Yep. It was a very short period of time. It was a very short period of time. So do we have to go through things like that? I don't know if it has to be... I don't know if it has to be in that format, but I do think that whether you choose it or it happens organically in your life, the tougher situations make you tougher. Mm. It builds a resilience. It also tells you whether it is for you or not. For instance, I don't see myself participating in a triathlon again in the near future, unless something changes. And the change for me that I'm looking at is if my son, if Luca decides... I knew it. Yeah, if he says, I want to do it, <laughs> yeah. Dad, uh, I'll go with him. Yeah. And, I'll go, I, and I won't go there to race, but I'll go with him to keep him company. To, you know, it's a young mind. There will be those periods in time where your mind's going to say no. And you may need the extra push. I had Tom messaging me on my a long day telling me, you have to go through it. Mm. Uh, you know, he'll need somebody. Luca will need somebody. Leah will need somebody. And I'll do it if they do it again, if they want to do it. Yeah, right. You know, or I'll do it if I really feel that I'm at this point where I miss it. I crave it. I want it really bad. I, I'm missing. I need this itch to be scratched. I'll do it. Um, but otherwise, you know. I think it's important to have these tough situations. I think life's going to throw those tough situa situations your way anyways. I don't know anybody who's lived through life, regardless of their uh, financial well-being, mm. I don't know anybody who's lived through life without any issues. Yeah, yeah. And sure, when you're going through it, it may be the toughest thing in the world. But once you're through, once you're, you know, over on the other side, much like my run this morning, <laughs> you know, once you're over that, that, that bridge and you're going downhill... Yeah. You realize you've become stronger as a result of it. So I think it's needed. I think, I think it's, it's life. Whether we should actively go looking for it or not, I think this depends upon people's personalities. It's so interesting, mate, because you said something there that the goal of Iron Man came from the people that 
were around you yeah. in MDS and you didn't even know what it was. Yeah. And it was someone else's goal. But if we think back to what you said at the start, the three people a day, six days a week was also someone else's formula. Absolutely. It was also someone else's goal. Absolutely. And it links into the $200,000 goal. Sure. So what's the point and how do we develop where we understand what's actually for us? Because following someone else's goal or the herd sometimes is actually like, mate, you're super successful in the insurance business and you owed it to that guy at the start of the show. Absolutely. The three by six rule, we'll call it that, or the six by three rule, whatever you want to call it. Yep. His goal, and as a graduate, you bought into it and you went, and the days that you wanted to overexceed, you did, and the days that you didn't, you were back home on the couch at, at midday. Where's the point and where's the development of personality of priorities or whatever where other people's goals are not our goals and we have to start to take this responsibility. I did say when I started out with him, I was 22 years old. Mm. I had very little understanding about life, let alone life insurance. Is The formula is 10-3-1, by the way. Oh. It's make 10, 10 calls, meet three people, try and close one deal a day. Try and close. Try and close, one, attempt one close a day. 10 calls, three meetings, one, one close. And I sucked at the telephone. So for me, 10 calls was literally... And knock on doors. I even uh, got thrown out of a building by security because somebody complained. For sure. um, but it was part of the learning curve. I'll tell you that at that age, I didn't have any opinion or insights. I was given an instruction from somebody who I looked at as being super successful in, the, in my shot at life. He was the mentor, he was the guide, he was the, you know, the, the champion, and he said, do this, and he was successful. I had no reason to doubt him. I followed it completely to the T. Today, 24 years later, still in the industry, if somebody tells me this is the way, one, I'm not going to take it at uh, face value. Second, I'm not going to beat it down. But there is really a pause to see whether this is relevant to me or not. There is some introspection. Most of my introspection today take place on a run, right? That's the truth. It's my time with myself, yeah. uh, except for Tuesdays. The rest yeah. of the days when I run, I run with myself. Or I'm at the gym with myself, and that's the time for me to introspect and think about, hey, that was a great idea, but is it relevant in my marketplace? Is it relevant in the country I live in? Is it relevant to my clients? Is it relevant to my family? It may work for him, and I'm, and I'm not beating that down. But he or she may also be a certain type of an individual in a specific situation right now. I do believe that it comes with age. It comes with experience. As a 22-year-old joining the business, I wanted that uh, gratification and that close and that success overnight. But it took 24 years of doing this, and not necessarily 1031. But evolving that model to suit how I am as an individual, my personality type, the clients I want to serve, it took 24 years to get to this, right? Mm. But it's been introspection along the way. So I think that that is a, a key thing over there. I don't, um, I think as kids, as younger, as younger individuals, 
maybe we have to take things by at face value. Mm. Even to know that it's wrong, you still have to do it to know that it's not for you. And it links back to what you were saying about make Luca making mistakes and yep. like it's good. I, I imagine there's also because of how you've tailored your life and how you go about your business and the success that you have made, there's probably a 24-year-old looking at you looking for your formula. Absolutely. <laughs> I think there, we have a responsibility. I know, mm. you, I know you take this very uh, strongly. I think any coach really takes this strongly. Whether it's commercial reasons or not is irrelevant. We have a responsibility to show or guide a path to the next generation. Course, in there, there are people that will take that advice and make it their own, and then there are people that won't. I look at it from a perspective today that when I see newcomers in the business, young advisors in the business, I always keep a, sp a certain space in my calendar available to mentor them. Nice. If somebody reaches out actively on LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever, or picks up the call and just uh, picks up the phone and just gives me a call, I'm more than happy to mentor them as long as they're willing to be mentored. Right? Again, it's an acceptance that they may be on this journey with me for a few weeks, a few months, a few years, mm. and then they fly away. We've served each other's purpose. Yeah. I've scratched that itch which allows me to pass on the stuff to the next generation, and they've got whatever they needed from me. I can almost assure you, though, they're not going to take all my ideas and copy and paste them as Rickson does it they will find a way to make it their own. And this will come through years of experience of trying them out. Mm. Nothing that I'm doing in the industry today or in my life today are my own ideas. I consume a lot of content in the form of audiobooks, uh, in the form of uh, training programs and coaching programs on a regular basis. And none of the ideas are my own, but I have tweaked them mm. to suit my life and my lifestyle and my wants. They also may not be with me. For th those ideas may not be what I will practice for the rest of my life, but they serve the purpose for now. I think that's a really key thing that, like, it's cool and it's very okay to read an audio book, listen to a cassette on a Sony Walkman. <laughs> yeah. if, we're, if we're continuing with our <laughs> we're very old theme, mate. <laughs> and I, I remember when I was 15... I used to listen to, I got a cassette tape of Zig Ziglar. Oh, yeah. Who was, he, he's dead now, unfortunately, yes. God bless him. But he was one of the first guys that I heard speak, and he'd worked in a sales background, and that's when I knew that that's where I wanted to go. And I literally just took all of his ideas. Yeah. And as I moved through my early sort of sales career, I think I delivered them with or I tried to deliver them with his personality, mm -hmm. but then it's exactly what you've been saying, that his goals and my goals were different, yeah. but the ideas, the concepts remain, yeah. and they're molded to, like you've just said there, to what you, and, and that's what I, tr I really try and encourage people a lot to do, like don't listen to this show, or don't read a book, and then try and execute it all 100% as the person has advised us to do. Yep. Think about, and, and, and I know it's the same for you, mate, when you're advising people on, on life insurance. It's like, this is the story. Yep. Go away, come back to me, and we'll try and make it even better that yep. it fits you. Absolutely. You know, and that's Absolutely. why, let's dig into that a little bit, mate. I, life insurance is, is, is probably a bit of a, a, 
a minefield for for a lot of people. You've sure. dedicated and and you have, mate. You're so you're passionate about it. You've been passionate about it since you were young. You've been in the industry for a long time. What? Give us the lowdown, like. I know I don't want to be here the whole day or take your whole day. I'd love to be here the whole day. But it's it's insane to see how passionate you are about life insurance. Talk to us a little bit about it. I, I got into the industry because of that mentor I told you about. Yeah. Because he gave me the whole 1031 bit and said, the sky's the limit, work as much, work as little, make as much, make as little as you want. And I loved it. That's the reason I got into the business. Ambition was a big thing driving it. I stayed in the business for very different reasons. Ambition is, a st ambition is still a very big part of it. Don't get me wrong. Mm. I still believe what he told me 24 years ago still holds good today. There is no ceiling or limitations in terms of income or time. So this, right. is, this is still true. This still holds true. However, I delivered my first claim check about nine months into the business to a person who passed away at the age of 32. I remember everything about this guy. He worked with a company in Ajman. I was desperate to make the sale. I went to see him. I borrowed money to get taxi fare to go to Ajman. I closed the deal and a few months later he called me up several times to see him again. There was no business on the table. There was no money on the table. So, and I didn't have a car or a license. It was, you know, there was a limitation. I must have made about four hundred dollars on this whole deal at best. And he needed to see me really badly, and I didn't have the time. And I said, "I will come back and see you as soon as I can." And I never made the time. And then a, a couple of weeks later, I got a call from his wife telling me that he passed away. And he passed away due to a terminal tumor. So the insurance company, of course, settled the claim. I was the person that delivered the check. But I met his wife for the first time, and she was pregnant. And the reason he was trying to call me was so that I could change the beneficiaries on the policy to reflect just his wife and not his wife and his mother, as he had initially planned out. I didn't make the time to see him. And back in the day, this wasn't digital. This required me to show up with a physical form, sign, stamp, you know, notarize, submit. Uh, maybe a week later, two weeks later, the, the change is reflected. I didn't show up and do my job. And as a result, his mom took 50% of that small life insurance policy that should have gone to his wife and his unborn child. That was on me. That was a massive failure on my part. And I stayed in the business with the intention of, you know, ensuring that I don't never repeat a mistake like that anymore. And while the financials around it were very important, what I delivered had to be on point. And that's what changed over the years. Wow. With the life insurance part of it, I mean, if you ask me today, a lot of people ask me randomly now because of all the posts we're putting out, do you think it's for everyone? The, the honest truth is I don't know. The reality is if you're, <laughs> if you're the, if today, the way to find out whether life insurance is right for you or not is honestly, there are so many online calculators. Yeah. It takes you less than five minutes of inputting data into this online system that tells you to the last cent what should your life, right level of life insurance cover be and if it's relevant to you or not. It's as simple as that. Right. You don't need a financial advisor or a life insurance consultant telling you all of this stuff. But where the advisor becomes relevant is when an individual decides 
he's seen the number, he agrees or disagrees with it, but he may procrastinate on putting it, he or she may procrastinate on putting it in place, may decide not to buy something. You know, I've realized over the last, I'm, I'm 45 years old today. Mm. When I started out, my clients were in their 20s, today they're in their 40s, just like I am. And the difference between my 20s and my 40s is I'm seeing a lot more claims today. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot more critical illness claims today. In the last uh, three months, we saw two critical illness claims. People that I know to be physically fit, you know, but, you know, random, heart attack, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, one of the guys over there was a crazy story. We forced him eight years ago to purchase an additional cover because he had three kids. And he was unsure he wanted to do this because his medicals turned out bad. The insurance company decided to charge him a higher premium. We forced him to do it. And I told him, you've got a cooling period of 30 days. So buy the life insurance policy, go on your holiday. And when you come back, if you still decide you don't need the policy, cancel it. He went on that trip. And in the eight days after he left on that trip, he had his first heart attack. If, he oh. didn't, if we didn't force him, if I didn't arm twist him to purchase it, Right now, when his kids are in university, this would have been a bad, he would have been in a seriously bad place. So while I know that these uh, online platforms and these calculators are very relevant because you're not, you don't have to be forced sold something, mm. you know the right number, you still need that human interaction and someone to put the whole emotional side of it and share with you the years of case studies of working with people where things worked out and where things didn't work out you to have some idea of listen you know am i doing this or not yeah. should i do this or not unfortunately ai and technology and everything else while they're all very relevant don't get me wrong mm. can be a tool to an advisor and a client but it can't be the end proposition yeah humans one-on-one -on -one still mean everything i mean we have training programs with inner fight and most of the stuff from me is plugged on uh, training peaks but there is a regular check-in with tom you know with my coach when you coach me you checked in on a regular basis and said hey, how are you doing what's going on over here why it was an accountability of sorts mm. it was a way for me to you know even just hear myself speak and think about all the reasons why i should or should not be doing this and I think it's the same in every field. I don't think life insurance is any different from that. It's just that the implication of not doing it or the opportunity to do it right may not come around again. Mm. And that could be the difference between financial well-being or, or not. hustling. As your careers progress, Rickson, and... Obviously, your age progresses as well, and you start to, I mean, you put it quite well that some of the clients that you sold to or took care of their health insurance when you were younger, mm. I would imagine in your 20s, there was very limited connection between, like, that policy was just to, to make the 10-3-1 the, the rule. Sure. To yeah. prove it right. Absolutely. You probably never sat there think, thinking, holy shit, maybe in 20, 24 years, this guy might have a critical illness. He, he, he might die. So really, my question here is, you're in a really interesting business because you're dealing with people now where priorities are completely changing, mm -hmm. where... Critical illness, in some cases, unfortunately, death is a is yeah. a real. How do you think that's affecting you 
as an individual? It's tough. It's tough because over a period of the last 24 years, you build relationships. They're no longer, they're, they, while they may have begun as being part of the 10-3-1 rule, mm. and you're right, at, in your 20s, you have this feeling of immortality. Who's thinking <laughs> about, who's thinking about uh, death or critical illness or even retirement is such a long way off, you know? You, you're not thinking about those things. But you know, as time goes by and you're seeing these people, these clients have been with me now for over two and almost two and a half decades, right? That's crazy. In some cases, I may have been the first person that saw their newborn baby in a hospital, right? In the, it's the case. And today, some of, the, yeah. some of the kids are in university and they know me as the guy, you know, from the yesteryears oh, yeah. who showed up at their parents at their house at some odd hours in a suit with a briefcase discussing life insurance and all these boring things where the kids were made to go in a room. Sure. But today, it's all that relationship, you know, over those 20, 24 years that adds this certain level of complexity to it. We lost somebody as a client, you know, in that COVID period. And it had the worst impact on me because I realized that Yes, financially, we could keep our promises to the client's family. It was done in less than two weeks. Everything was sorted out. But that client's spouse, who was a homemaker, the housewife, and the kids were, the oldest son just went to university in London. The daughter was in a school in, in Dubai. His wife didn't know how to manage the money. She didn't know the difference between a debit card and a credit card. And after he passed away, she didn't, while there was a ton of money coming out from the insurance proceeds, she still needed somebody to hold her hand through yeah. the entire succession process, which had nothing to do with me, by the way. It's about the property being transferred to her name. It's about the cars being transferred to her name. It's about dealing with the bank and the mortgage and the, you know, the insurance associated with the mortgage. It's been two years. And hopefully in the span of the next week, this process of her receiving all those assets is done. But... I couldn't just plug out after I paid the, the claim. Mm. I am still a relevant part of their life. If she's having a bad moment today, she'll give me a call and she'll tell me, hey, listen, I don't know how to deal with this. Mm. And my job over there is not as a life insurance advisor, as a consultant, but just as a human being, being yeah. is to connect her to the right resources that can help. So to be fair, it's very difficult in my space. If you, if you approach this correctly, and by that, by that I mean... I'm in the industry of lifelong relationships. Longevity is a big part of what I do, not just from a health and well-being standpoint, but from a relationship standpoint today. We only enter into relationships today, not because of the 1031 formula, <laughs> but if we think that there is a lifetime connect with a client. I've got this, I've got this uh, qualifier or this disqualifier. It's can I call you home to my fam with my family for dinner? Is wow. our work together going to be beyond just a transaction? If the answer to that is yes, then we will do stuff together. And that, that is a rule for me for life now. It's not just for business. It's with relationships. It's with clients. It's with uh, people that I may hire on my team. The real factor is over here, apart from everything else, does it look great on CV? Is the business proposition right? Yes, yes, yes. But can I call you home to my family for a meal? Yeah. And if the answer is yes, that we can do something together. And if the answer is no, then we're not doing stuff together. Because in my line of work, we earn a commission. Yeah. And the commission gets paid in the first couple of years of being sold the product, of selling the product.
But if you dislike this individual at the outset, what's the guarantee or what's the probability of you showing up with that check that you promised to deliver years after this individual is no longer around? Mm. You didn't like him or her from the beginning. <laughs> and now you've got to show up for their family and make good on the promise. That might be a difficult ask. Yeah. But to be fair, um, emotionally, if we go through a situation, you know, critical illness, I know when I've done right by my clients and they've received the payout, it's easier for me to deal with because they're around. We've yeah. taken care of them financially. They have a way to mend it. It's fine. Death is a whole different thing. Yeah. And I, I, I think there are two, two professions in the world which may be challenging. One is that of a dentist because, you know, for obvious reasons, they start their day by looking into someone else's mouth. <laughs> and one is me. I start my morning by having morbid conversations with people about, yeah. you know, longevity, death. And it's, it's a real truth, though, that some, at some point, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when this happens. The emotional uh, setback for me is huge. It takes me a while to recover from a situation like that. Yeah, I can imagine. It's not just a client. It's a client who may have met me three or four times a year for 10 years. Yeah. I know their kids. I know their family. I know their parents. They invite me to their 40th birthday. Uh, when they have kids, I'm at the hospital. You know, it's a relationship. It's difficult. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a relationship that turns into friendship very quickly. Yeah. Work ends up being 20% or 25% of the conversation. The rest is actually what's relatable to us, what's happening in our kids' lives, what's happening in our professional and personal lives, in our health, in our, yeah. Hey, it's incredible. We could talk for, we've spoken for an hour, we could probably go for another hour. Yeah. I think I've only, we've only really scratched the surface, but it's, I think some of the key takeaways here that I'm, I've already started processing is just how, and we didn't even speak because I know family is such a huge priority for you. And I actually had it in my mind. This is what happens when you do a yeah. show with no notes and you have yeah. a conversation with a yeah. friend. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole show on its own. But what I'm seeing here is just this evolution of, yes, there was focus, but it's blurry. Now it's just coming so clear that everything just... And you as a person, and, and I'm not saying it because we're recording, you as a person... You're different. Your your body language is different. Your everything because you've gone and now it's how you started the show. It's so clear how you put your priorities together. And it's so obvious. Like some people will be thinking, this guy wants to have go to the birth of his client's kids. I can't think of anything worse. Yeah. You know, but you've come to this point and it's I'm actually more excited about I'm excited about our relationship so far and what I've I've had the honor of watching so far, mate. But having had this conversation and starting to think now, I'm, I'm more excited about what could happen in the next five years and how you, because you're getting so much more clarity around your priorities, yeah. how much you'll serve yourself, your family. And I know you'll always take care of those two, first family first, then yourself, and then your clients. And it, yeah. it's, yeah, we could go. <laughs> this is, um, we need round two, mate. Yeah, I'm excited about the, the future as well for the same reasons. The other, the other group that's important in there is my team. Cool. They, they make everything possible. They, everything. they make everything possible for me. Honestly, I tell people I'm good at very few things mm. and the rest of the stuff is managed by my team completely. It allows me to stay focused. It allows me to do the run, have this podcast and then jump into work knowing everything is uh, in place. But they are also part of the same, they also form part of the same 
qualifier, can I call you home for a meal with my family? Really? And I know you guys have really high standards yeah. with hiring and stuff like that. But uh, We have something yeah. quite similar, actually. It's funny you said that. It's like we've often said with a client and with a coach, so with a staff or with a client, would you, have, would you sit down and have a coffee with them and just talk yeah. shit? Yeah. Would you be happy to do that? Yeah. And if your answer is no, it's probably not the right person for, for either. Absolutely. Brixon, thank you so much. Thank you for having we, me. This, we continue this conversation. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you.